0: Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Welcome back to the Resurrection People podcast. Today, we are looking at the gospel reading for the second Sunday of Advent, Mark 1, 1 through 1-8. The gospel reading begins with Mark identifying his gospel as, quote, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The early church had to wrestle with this truth that they were part of this story of Israel, this long tradition of God's work throughout history, and also that Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection changes everything, and those who followed him had to begin to reinterpret their own history in light of it. So they look at the prophets and they look at Isaiah. And what Mark does is he kind of blends Isaiah 40 and Exodus 23, 20 and Malachi 3 in this beginning thing about this messenger, this voice calling in the wilderness. And then Mark introduces that this is the guy, John the baptizer. John appears on the scene, splashing water on the people of God. His message on the surface is really simple, repentance and baptism. But what does that mean? Well, the Jewish people found themselves under the thumb of pagan oppressors in Rome. Like their ancestors held captive in Babylon, they were crying out for salvation. In their quest, there had emerged significant conflict between the various political groups within the Jewish world, all trying to live out what it means to be God's chosen people, even under pagan rule. These groups would have expected many different things from a future messiah a warrior to defeat the Romans, a king to take them back to their time as an empire, a miraculous sign from God. But the beginning of God's kingdom breaking through is not with a warrior king, but with a scruffy prophet. John came from the wilderness. A wilderness is an abandoned or uncultivated place. This would set off alarm bells in the first hearers because after the exodus, The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. In fact, this is where they received their mission and their identity. Now, Mark doesn't tell us John's birth story, but Luke tells us that John the Baptist's birth was significant. It wasn't a virgin birth, but it was still one that required divine intervention. God spoke to Zechariah, a priest, while he was on his yearly rotation in the home of God's presence, the temple, the Holy of Holies. And God told him that his wife would give birth to a son even in their own their old age. This was a foretelling of the birth of a prophet, and it would have had a familiar ring to it. John's story sounds like that of the prophets of ancient Israel, and his words sound like it too. After years of silence, God speaks. In fact, Zechariah, and when he doesn't believe God, he is struck silent. And that silence in some ways mirrors, God's silence during this time, and yet in the midst of the silence, God speaks. John calls the people to prepare the way. Now, for some reason, John didn't live in the midst of society with everyone else. This is kind of strange because he was born to a priest. That's society. That's the world. Many scholars believe, though, that John may have spent time as part of a group called the Essenes or the Qumran community. And we learn more about the history of this group of people when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in the 1940s and 1950s. The Essenes believed that the larger Jewish society had gone so far astray from God's intention for his people that they were beyond redemption. For the Essenes, the only way to bring about the kingdom of God was to escape and create their own utopian society. So this community set up camp in the wilderness. This group, the Essenes, the Qumran community, interpreted the Old Testament passages about wilderness to mean that they should escape to the wilderness. (laughs) This was foundational to their identity. In some ways, this is the same sentiment expressed by some fundamentalist Christians today. The idea is that the world has become so polluted, it is necessary for Christians to create our own enclaves of safety apart from the rest of the world to protect ourselves and our children. But at some point, so at some point, John had left society for the wilderness. But then, unlike the Qumran community, he returns to society. He emerges from the wilderness to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. Something drew him back into the broader community. Something told him that God has not given up on his people, but loves the world. This, of course, is the good news of the Christmas story. God has not given up on the world. Every year at Passover, the Jewish people would recount the Exodus story when God rescued Israel from Pharaoh, bringing them through the Red Sea and across the wilderness to the Promised Land. The people of God knew this story really well. They recounted it over and over again. John does not merely tell them the story again. He turns the story into a drama And he calls his hearers into the story. They are to go through the water and experience their liberation. They are to leave behind Egypt, which represents the world of sin in which they were living. The world of rebelling against the living God. It is time to turn around and go the right way. John is saying in order to be ready for this thing that is about to happen, you need to know at the core of who you are that you are the people delivered through the Red Sea. God delivered you. God was faithful. Yes, he's been silent, but you are still those people. And they didn't just need to remember this intellectually. They needed to be reminded physically. They needed to walk it out now, many of the political aspirations of the day were likely driven by fear, and John's message is to repent. The idea of repentance is to change direction, to reorient, to point yourself in a different way. Israel anticipated the Messiah and a prof- and also a prophet. The two always go together. God's good news always comes with the revealing of the places where we're not yet ready for the good news, the prophetic voice where our hearts are turned away. John is saying, remember your identity. Remember who you are. Remember that you've been delivered by God and are called to be a light to the nations. And John is pointing to the ways in which this identity is being fulfilled in Jesus. In this, John is a great example of the calling of the Christian. He is always pointing away from himself and pointing to Jesus. After Christ's death and resurrection, Christians reinterpreted baptism in light of Jesus. Baptism is the moment of new creation. God is once again hovering over and in the midst of the waters. Not only are we as Christians the Red Sea people, we've been grafted by grace into this family who was delivered through the crossing of the Red Sea. We are the resurrection people. When we went under the water, we participated in Christ's death. And on the other side, we participated in Christ's resurrection. The command to turn the right way also has a sharp edge to it. If you were told that someone important was coming to your church this Sunday morning, maybe royalty, a dignitary, a significant figure, we might make some unique arrangements. We'd get the place straightened up. We would make sure we were prepared. John says someone is coming who is greater than he is. John himself is not the end game. Somebody's coming. Someone is important. Someone is there to prepare the way. So this stepping into the story which John had initiated at baptism, Jesus would do with the Holy Spirit, immersing God's people in God's presence. So John is the voice calling in the wilderness, but something bigger is coming. This is the heart of Advent. In many ways, Advent is the call to prepare the way for the Lord. When we lean into this anticipation, we're also leaning into God's absence, which is strange. God is coming, and yet God is not fully present. God is coming, and that means in some ways God is absent. We look at a world where children go hungry, where justice is not done, where nations are at war, where families are torn apart, where people get sick, and we say, God, we need you. Yet, it is at these times throughout Scripture that God calls witnesses. Ordinarily, a witness is someone who has seen something and talks about it. The Bible is full of witnesses before the fact. They're called prophets. They do not comment on something they've seen, but on something that will happen in the future. They bear witness, even when all the facts don't seem to point in their direction. So prophets say something like, God is coming. And I know your circumstances may not look like that, but that's because something is missing. And that something, particularly that someone, is coming, so get ready. Notice Mark's focus on John the Baptist as being for repentance, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So this aligns with our Old Testament reading we talked about yesterday. John is proclaiming what is coming in Jesus, the ultimate return from exile. The Passover story took on a new dimension after the people were delivered from captivity in Egypt. After they crossed the Red Sea, they were led into the desert. And in the desert, God was with them in the form of a cloud during the day, and fire at night. God was with them, present with them, and Israel's hope was that one day God would be with them in a more personal way. John is calling Israel back into her story, but he says one is coming who will actually be God's presence, God's Holy Spirit with you, in you. Jesus was God's physical presence in the world, and even after his death, resurrection, and ascension, he didn't leave us alone. The Holy Spirit lives in our hearts, the most personal way that God could live amongst us. After Jesus' resurrection, he tells the disciples that they will be empowered to be witnesses. The disciples are witnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They are to proclaim that because of Jesus, the world has changed. It's a different place than it was before. But they're also witnesses before the fact of something that is to come. He's coming again. The new world has not been fully realized. It's been inaugurated, but not fully established. But it is coming. Today, when we are part of meeting people's real needs, we are witnesses to the hope that one day everyone will have what they need. There will not be divisions between rich and poor. When we take a step to understand those who are different from us, we are witnesses to the hope that God's future world will include people of all races, backgrounds, and traditions. Being a witness is beautiful, but it's also biting. Because if you really live this way, it will be confrontational. If you live in such a way that a new world is coming, (laughs) it means if you love everyone, those who seek to exclude others will be uncomfortable in your presence. If you live peace, those who live for war will be unnerved. If you spend time with the least of these, you may find that others will not follow the same path. When you are a witness, you will quickly realize that our world is not yet oriented towards God's kingdom. This is our calling as Christians. We are camel skin wearers, locust eaters, those who do not quite sit right with the powers that be. We are a wilderness people who have been compelled that God loves the world. Thanks for listening to the Resurrection People podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review to help us get the word out. You can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch.com and find out more at theartofpreaching.substack.com.